Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Good morning. I'm not sure who was the dulcet tones you were hearing on the show, but you should listen back. It was very interesting. But now you're here with us. Mm. Whether you like it or not, <laughs> this is what you get. Don't, don't turn the radio on. <laughs> Who is in the studio? <laughs> You're here with Anya, Ayan, Georgie and myself, Lauren. It's Tuesday the 27th of November and it is not cold outside. It's great. Mm. It's so nice. Mm. No stockings for me today. That's, <laughs> that's the barometer by which I measure all of my... And um, Anya just got back from New Zealand? Yes. How was it? It was... Incredible. Just the landscape, the people, the coffee was quite good as well. Oh. <laughs> I heard, t- okay, tell me this. Mm. I heard that they do um, two shots as standard in cafes in New uh, Maybe. They also do bowls <laughs> of coffee, <laughs> which could be a little what? excessive. Like <laughs> in Brisbane. <laughs> so <Yeah. people. laughs> It seemed like they were overcompensating for something, but yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Sorry. All <laughs> <Ooh>. shade. <laughs> Luckily, we don't have any New Zealanders listening. Mm. I'm just really salty that I'm back here, you know? Mm. It's so nice to see you, too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you for bringing back the chocolate. Yeah, I've already mm. eaten half of a block already. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit sick. No, no, no it's to get the sugar high. <laughs> mm. Chocolate as well, not the basic one. It's like 33% cocoa. Wow, it's so good. Mm. It's like a Willy Wonka kind mm. of packaging I yeah. love it we better not say the name otherwise this is like oh, a no. good oh, setup yeah. for an ad <laughs> absolutely not probably the most famous chocolate of New Zealand that's all I would say mm. Mm. Um, shall we go into some news headlines mm-hmm. analysis of Labour's landslide victory in the Victorian state elections puts the focus on the failure of the Liberals fear campaign being out of step with the Victorian public their campaign has been criticised for being narrowly centred on issues such as law and order, rather than putting forward changes to policies that would benefit the public. Another key issue concerns the coalition's promise to shut down safe injecting rooms within a week of the election if they had won, despite the success of the safe injecting room trials, which have already been which have already made a difference to many people's safety. The ABC predicts that the Liberal Party's position will further deteriorate and might even lead to a change of leadership. Onto the Greens with a 1.7 swing and losing seats in both the lower and upper houses. They have blamed Labour for preferencing right-wing minority parties such as the Shooters, Farmers and Fishers in the Western Metropolitan Region, where the Greens um, candidate Huang Trung will unlikely, to be, will unlikely be returned. The loss has also been attributed to the numerous scandals um, involving Greens candidates. Some seats are still contested, including the seat of Brunswick, with Labour candidate Cindy O'Connor leading Greens candidate Tim Reeve by only, seven, only 72 votes. Um, and the Greens are also hoping that 
voting below the line will favour them, so hopefully we'll see some changes there. The ABC has reported that Dominic Phillips, Green's candidate for the seat of Sandringham, was stood down following a written complaint of serious sexual misconduct. Leader of the Victorian Greens, Samantha Ratnam, told Nine News that the Greens take these matters very, very seriously and that they have acted very swiftly and decisively. She dismissed claims from Daniel... um, she dismissed claims from Daniel Andrews that the Greens Party had a toxic culture. The, the woman at the centre of the allegations has requested to remain anonymous. This is another unfortunate incident for the Greens, who have now had numerous party members exposed for misconduct. The other most recent case being Angus McAlpine, the candidate for Fugray, who was discovered for rapping about date rape, homophobia and other discriminatory things, um, and has since uh, come out and apologised. Uh, and this last headline is uh, taken from The Guardian. Australia's three major political parties have failed to declare sizable donations from corporate interests, seeking lucrative government work, mining approvals or favourable tax policies. The Liberals failed to declare a $10,000 donation from Raytheon, an arms manufacturer that was at the time vying for defence contracts, including on Australia's major shipbuilding and submarine projects. Federal Labor failed to properly disclose a $100,000 donation from the car salary packaging industry, received the same financial year. The opposition leader, Bill Shorten, wrote a letter to the industry pledging to maintain generous tax arrangements. The Western Australian Nationals failed to declare a $20,000 cheque it was handed by Mineral Resources, an iron ore miner seeking government approval to access new deposits in environmentally sensitive and unique mountain ranges. I've got one. New laws enabling the adoption of thousands of children from the state's foster care system without parental consent were passed in the New South Wales Parliament on Thursday night, this was last week, despite fierce opposition from community organisations to the regressive changes they say will have a heavy impact on Aboriginal families. Aboriginal leaders and community members say the changes will lead to another stolen generation. Aboriginal children and young people make up almost 40% of those in the out-of-home care system, despite only making about 3% of the population. APSEC, the state's peak body representing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families and children, had taken out full-page newspaper ads last week, opposing the changes and being for the government to reconsider its approach. Um, so what the changes do um, is that the changes impose two-year deadlines on permanency decisions and narrow the grounds for these decisions to be varied or challenged. So basically removing further accountability from the government, which is what it sounds like. Um, yeah, so that's depressing. I've seen it being called another stolen generation. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I just wanted to follow up um, for people who were interested in the election on the weekend. Monday Breakfast yesterday did a really great show where they spoke to members of um, the Socialist Party, the Greens, Labour um, and an educator representing um, an, a Victorian education body um, all about th- yeah, the fallout from the election and um, what the future looks like in Victoria. So I highly recommend to listen. You can hear it back on our website. The City of Stonington presents Carols at Camo Park. Join host Shane Jacobson for an evening featuring performances by Casey Donovan and many more. Bring along a picnic and celebrate under the stars with a riverside pyrotechnic display to conclude the night. Carols at Camo Park, Sunday, December 16, from 7.30pm. See the City of Stonington website for more details. A 3CR supporter. In the summer I went swimming in the summer. Yes, the summer. I 
Summer brings swimming, summer brings picnics in the park, and summer brings the 3CR Summer Wine Fundraiser. Thanks to the support of Small Patch Wine Store in Hawthorne, we're selling 3CR Radical Radio labelled wines for only $15 a bottle. And they're even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR at those summer festivities. Call the station between 9 to 5 on 9419 8377 Welcome back. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. We're now going to listen to an interview I did with Daisy, the head of audio at Future Creative Initiative. We looked at the structural issues that exist for women in the Australian screen industry. And stay tuned to find out how you can enter your script for a chance to win the Emerging Screenwriter Award 2019 and have your story made into a film by Tavil Films and premiered at the Melbourne Women in Film Festival 2020. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Daisy. Thanks. I'm excited. I'm well, we're excited <laughs> to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. What structural issues exist for women in the Australian screen industry? Um, that's a great question, actually. Um, so I think one of the big issues that's, in Australia, not just this country, is has always been that the people who are making the decisions, there's less and less women by the day. And so when there's less people, less women making the decisions, it means not enough women get the opportunities. And um, it leads to things like it's a male-dominated area. And by people who are making decisions, I mean um, like the investors, the sponsors, the people funding the projects, basically, the people reading the scripts and saying, yep, this is what we're going to take. There's less and less women in those positions, the directors and all, yeah, all those positions. So we need more women in those spaces. And on top of that, too, even when we have women in those spaces, we don't have support for each other as much as we need to. And by that, I mean, like, um, it extends culturally. So if we have some women, but they won't support other women necessarily. And we can see that with things like when it comes to something like white feminism, for example. Mm. So there is, yes, we are supporting women, but also we need to remember there's other women of color. You know, it's different tiers and it's this society tiers that we've put for ourselves that makes it a bit more difficult. Yeah. And that goes to our second question, which I want to come back to when it comes to meaningful representations. Yeah. But staying on the reasons, the gender inequality in the film industry. So staying on that. Yeah. I was reading the Gender Matters program by Screen Australia. Yeah. Yeah, and they were, discussing, they were discussing some of the reasons why there is inequality. And something I hadn't thought about was things like um, women needing to take time off from work. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. That's a big one. And um, seeing that, even when I got into the film industry as an audio, like an audio production crew member 
it's small things like because film sets go for ages and if you're a mom and i've been on set with moms you have to pay for someone to take care of your child while you're on set that costs you money wow and if film extends you have to pay more you know things like that you have to arrange for who's gonna how you're gonna leave early when you're gonna take your kid to school like you there's there's so much you need to work around that you're juggling so much that a lot of men don't necessarily get to do this stuff. And it goes back to small things like gender roles, like who does all these things. And there's a lot of single moms too. So that's another factor to mm. add on to there. And it kind of sucks that women, even, even things like getting maternity leave, not everyone gets maternity leave. And also what position are you, are you at like as a film or as a crew member? So Again, we don't get these opportunities a lot. So if you get an opportunity as a director, you don't want to screw it up because mm. you don't know when else it's going to happen. So you try and put your all in it. But there's so much also that you're juggling, which a lot of times women balance, but it's just a bit more difficult for women than it is for, for men. Mm. Yeah. And not to mention, this was also noted in the program, that women also undersell their skills. Yeah. Can I agree. Um, I think it's, it also ties into a lot of confidence as well. And I think we need to have more workshops or more opportunities where we learn how to sell ourselves as, and because I, I feel like we try to be very modest, but in that modesty or us really trying to be modest, we lose out on opportunities because we're not really selling ourselves mm. as much and it's harmful. And I've been in that situation where, People are like, oh, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm just like an audio engineer. And it's like, oh, cool, cool. But that has said nothing. Like, mm-hmm. it hasn't, I haven't told them the things that I do. And I actually learned this from another creative um, who showed me how to sell myself. And she's a filmmaker as well. So it was really eye-opening when she was like, oh, this is how you go about it. Just tell people what you're working on during that time, what you've been doing. You can do it in a brief way, but you're able to sell yourselves fully. But I feel like I've seen it a lot, and I've been one of those people that we hide a lot behind modesty, and we try and just be be cool about it, Mm. but we undersell ourselves a lot. So going to the second question, which is um, increasing the participation of female screenwriters. Yeah. How do we make sure that a we do increase that participation but when we do that that participation is meaningful and not tokenistic? Um this is uh, this is actually a great question. Um I thought about it for a fair bit. <laughs> but um, I think one thing that I've no- I I was really I'm reading this book, well, I finished reading this book that um is written by Renny Edo Lodge. She's an, a, a journalist from the UK. And in the book, she talks about the quota system. Her book is based about race, and it's, the book is how, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. But she speaks about a lot of things that are applicable in so many other situations. And one of the things that came up was a quota system. And so the example that's given there is in the American um, football teams, there was not that many black um coaches but there's a lot of black football players as well so it didn't really add up and so what they decided to do is put a few positions for black coaches and there was uproar people like oh no why do you have that many people blah 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 but the thing people need to understand is you're not taking random people from the street and you're like yo come you're gonna be this there's people who are qualified but they don't have these opportunities because 
they're not given to us, they're closed off. And so in the same, in this situation, we need to have quota systems where we say we have X amount of positions for women, X amount of position for women of color, X amount of position for First Nations people. Because, and that's how we level the playing ground. Because the playing ground is not level. We are competing, but we're not on the same we're not at the same place. Mm. And on top of us, on top of gender, there's race, on top of race, there's class, there's all these things that play into account. So I think quota system would be really great in getting more women in these positions. Mm. You write in a Medium article called Diversity and Representations in Film. Mm-hmm. There's a quote that I really liked. And you say, we had amazing directors like Ava Daveni, who is killing it with Queen Sugar, a great TV show that portrays a realistic characterization of black people's daily lives. Mm. Because I've noticed that when we see black films or films that are being marketed as as like black, it's always there's always like a white hero, or there's always mm. you know. It's always like there's a lot of trauma involved. Stereotypical. Or, yeah, or it has to be about <laughs> slavery or crime. It's never about just regular stuff. Yeah, and it's it's um and I'm glad you pointed that out too. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in who, and I'll use Ava DuVernay for example. She's done an array of different films as a director. She's done. A lot, a lot of films, and some of them have been, a lot of them have been with black cast, but also outside. But one thing that I really like about Ava is her team is very diverse, and so she has represented people from different genders, different sexual orientations, different races. She's had people even write, like white people write black stories, and the reason that's possible is because she's opened it up and people are aware and they're learning. And so we need to get to a point where we are open to stories that are speaking about different people who are not necessarily us. And by us, I mean, if you're a white male somewhere, not everything has to revolve around you, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not the reality you're living in. When you walk outside, you're seeing people from different places. We're living in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. God, it's sold as the most diverse yeah. city in this country. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it is. But what are we using that diversity for? Are we really selling that diversity in the right way? Or are we just playing around with the stereotypes? Mm. Yeah. And I guess that's where Future Creatives Initiative comes in. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that program? Yeah. So the Future, uh, Future Creatives Initiative was started by um, Tyvel Films, which is a collective um they were started by Melissa and um, Heidi, and they approached Melbourne Women in Film and the idea to have an initiative that um, produces a film that talks about a lead female character and is outside of the male gaze. And so, ideally, that's what the initiative. That's how the initiative started. And so, Melbourne Women in Film are now partnering with um, Tyvel Films for this initiative. And, um, yeah, the campaign is the film. So, ideally, it's a competition for women living in Victoria. And they can apply for, they can send in their scripts to um, Future Creatives Initiative. We do have a website, and that's the name of the website. So, sending your scripts, and then the best three scripts are going to, are going to be chosen. They'll get mentored by three different mentors who are in the film industry. 
and then the best one's going to get chosen, and the best one's going to get produced eventually. Mm-hmm. So it all started from the frustration of not having opportunities. And so they decided to create this opportunity for more screenwriters to just submit their scripts. And I think it's just also to encourage more people to get involved and not feel shy because mm. that's really a lot of people like what we were talking about there's that lack of confidence sometimes and sometimes we need a push so this is one of those push pushes that um are there and also seeing other women doing it because the initiative is run by women as well mm. so it's a great opportunity for screenwriters and one last thing are there eligibility requirements um, so you have to be living in Victoria. That is a must. Mm-hmm. But there's no age restrictions. Um, you, as long as you're female identifying, mm-hmm. uh, you're able to apply for that. And yeah, as long as you're based in Victoria. So, so the only no thing experience that's... experience or... No experience at all. Because yes. um, the idea is to get more people who Film are students? really passionate. Film students, if you just like writing and you feel like you have a great idea that talks about women in a in a way that empowers women. Like, wow. think of a story that you would like to show your cousins, your moms, your children, your children's children, you know, stuff like that. Something that is empowering for yourself as well. But yeah, this is great. This is fun. I definitely want to come back. Welcome back. That was Daisy, and thank you so much, Daisy. So if you're interested, if you've got a script and, you know, you've had a burning desire to turn it into a film, um, go to Future Connect, Future Creatives Initiative, one word, um, dot com. They're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we will upload all their information um, to our pages as well if you're interested. But, yes, yeah, it seems like an amazing opportunity I mean, I don't know why this hasn't already been thought up of, like, this is so cool. This is so, so, so cool. And I don't know if you girls were listening, but the stuff about meaningful representation, love it. Because, you know, you don't want to be a tokenistic woman. You don't want to be invited to a show and then just be that token person. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so no dinks, no dinks over here. So go to a track? Yeah, let's, let's, let's just do that. <laughs> um, so this is a track by rapper f- um, uh, Lake Lee 47 uh, from their new album, and it's got some bad words in it, just a heads up. Um, and this song's called Drop In. El Dorado, the story of Scudiez, is the story of a fight of a small community in northern Greece against a multinational-owned gold mine project that threatens their homes and lives. A grassroots movement is fighting against the destruction of the environment caused by the extraction methods and for democratic control over the most crucial basic resources, water, air and land. It shows Greece in the era of social and economic crisis where the rights of communities and the environment collide with business and profit. Come along to this free screening on Thursday the 6th of December at the Greek Centre, 168 Lonsdale Street, City. To book your free ticket, search Try Booking and El Dorado, or go to the Greek Resistance Bulletin Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. Each year, 3CR celebrates International Day of People with Disability. I want choices and rights. 
Join us on Monday, December 3rd from 7am to 7pm for a day of dedicated programming. Hear our voices on the issues that matter to us. The right to access, education, empowerment, pride, to creativity and expression, to freedom from discrimination and violence. Tune in on December 3 from 7am to 7pm on 3CR. And join the fight for the choices and rights of disabled people. <laughs> that was good enough, yeah? Excellent, done. 3CR is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the Community Radio Codes of Practice. The Codes of Practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. you got to remember, Nano, it's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. You're in the studio with myself, Lauren, Ayan, Anya and George. And we are joined on the phone now by Nicole Lee, who was a candidate in Saturday's state election. Um, and like many wonderful, strong women with varied, um, important lived experience of different things, did not quite um, make it in in the midst of the red wave that was the Labour dance vibe. So, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hey, how are you going, guys? Good, good. So, um, Saturday was huge. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit, um, firstly, about um, your background and your experiences and, and what made you decide to run in a state election. Okay, yeah. So, I came into this space, um, I experienced 10 years of abuse from my ex-husband, and I'm now a um, survivor advocate of... Um, 
family violence and also I bring the um, lens of a person with a disability. Um, so I do a lot of work around not just community awareness raising or it's, it's more around seeing um, real change within government rather and, and within the community and the sector rather than simply just awareness raising. I'm working you know, hard to try and see actual um, change implemented rather than simply just you know, raising awareness of the issues because I think we've got enough of that at the moment. Mm. Um, and so what then? In, you know, we've, we've had a state government that's initiated a royal commission into family violence and by all accounts it seems like the Andrews government is taking um, family violence very seriously and looking at it with that wider lens that really does focus on, for example, women with disabilities, elderly people, you know, voices that are typically excluded from mainstream narratives. So um, why run as an independent and not join a major party? Uh, so running as an independent gives us, well, myself and, and my running part, my friend Tarang, who we ran together, uh, gave us a little bit more freedom to not be tied down to a party line. It also uh, meant that we could stay true to why we um, felt that you know, victim survivors' voices needed, needed to be in the parliament rather than... Um, sort of sidelined at times and and also yeah it is pretty much that's pretty much the the, the, the crux of it is that um we needed to stay true to why we uh went into that space and the only way to do that would be as an independent and also there weren't any offers coming <laughs> from any major parties any of the major minor or micro parties mm. and we'd been working tirelessly in that space so it was also um you know really difficult to be sitting back and going you know why is this just not, you know, we're here, well, why aren't they taking us as seriously as they should be? And, well, the only thing we could do in that instance was to take control of, of what we could do, and that was, well, OK, well, let's run in the election as independents. Yeah, and um, if I can just say, um, I highly commend you for doing that. It's it's not an easy undertaking um, and very courageous and also shows a great level of commitment. So, um, Thanks. Yeah. And we're pretty exhausted. <laughs> I bet you are. Um, I think that's really interesting that, um, you know, when we look at the election results from from this state election, um, it does seem that people, and particularly, I'll say, women with lived experiences of things that, such as family violence, um, growing up in, in poverty, disability, being women of colour, all of these sorts of things... Um, it seems like those voices have been excluded from Parliament in this election. Um, yeah. And so I wonder, just, you know, take as broad a lens as you like, but what are your thoughts generally on the election results, at both, I guess, for the electorate you ran in, but also then statewide? Um, yeah, I don't think anybody was really expecting Labor to win as well as they did. I had a feeling that Labor would win, um, but they... It's a really clear indication that you know, early polls and um, I guess the public, uh, the, the, the publicly published narrative of the public opinion isn't necessarily a reflection of what the public is actually thinking and what they're actually wanting. So uh, I guess maybe the media has got a bit to play with that and the polls, you know, they're always not 100% um, guarantee of what's going to happen. Mm. Um but, yeah, like you said, I'd like to see more diversity within the parliament. And it's not just simply a matter of having, you know, women within your ranks. It's having women of colour. It's having women with disabilities. It's having victim survivors and, you know, of, of different, you know, people of different backgrounds, you yeah. know, women of different backgrounds and diversity rather than, you know, otherwise we're, it's still just 
a, a one-sided voice that's going into the parliament, even if you've got uh, women in there, if they're not a diverse array of life experiences and, and, and backgrounds. Absolutely. It's almost... Um, I feel like the, the it's a win for... Um, a particular kind of progressive mentality, perhaps, Saturday's yeah. election. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so we've obviously had this, you know, this election result, which means that Andrews can, and I don't want to forecast anything too outrageous, but I feel like he can pretty much do whatever he wants at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what are you hoping he will do with this um, incredible power that he's now been given? Well, um I hope that he comes through on on all promises that you know a lot of promises that have been made, but I also I, I would hope that um, for Tarang and myself that they've actually recognised it and and see how much we have to give in this space and to actually work with us a lot more thoroughly and wholeheartedly to um, ensure that the, you know, the Royal Commission recommendations are fulfilled mm. and done properly. I mean, it's a massive commitment for any government to take as it's. As we know, you know, it's meant to be a 10-year commitment and we're only a couple of years in. So it goes beyond just simply a couple of terms of government. And it's really hard for a government to commit to that because there's nothing tangible for the public to see. So I'd like to see, a, you know, one, the Royal Commission into Mental Health. Um, I'd like them to review all the literature that's already out there um, on the mental health NDIS, um, the psychosocial disability interface, mm. um, ahead of doing the Royal Commission as well. Um but also to not lose sight of the Royal Commission into Family Violence. And, uh, yeah, I just like it to be done properly and, and mm. thoroughly in the way that it deserves so that we, in 10 years' time we can look back and see some you know, massive change. And, um, like I said, it's, it's hard for government to commit to something like that because the change is so, it's so slow, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, Absolutely. And look, we're almost out of time, but I will just um, quickly ask you because I think um, I think seeing people like you run in this election um, was so important, and I think that more people with different experiences need to be getting out there and doing this. Um, so, do you have any advice at all for young people who might want to run for office, or for people who think that um, they're not quite what the major parties are looking for? Um, well, for the major parties, just. You know, think outside of, of um, the mould and the box that you've always worked with and um, you know, bringing in different viewpoints and diversity and uh, it isn't necessarily a bad thing to stop being so, being so afraid of, 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 of doing that and bringing us into this space. But also to younger people out there who uh, may be thinking of throwing their hat into the ring like we did is that you're going to need a lot of support. It is, it is really difficult and it was really hard if you have the right support around you, then you, know, you should you, know, you should be able to do this and be okay. And don't be um, uh, put off by other people's opinions of, of what you can and can't do because you know, you're the best judge of, of, of yourself. But also step into this space with um, an element of, of being ready to accept that, you know, politics, once you start seeing it from the inside and the way that we did is it's really quite... Um, it's a little bit more different than what we expected, and and I've had, uh, I guess, my view, uh, my world view of, of politics and the world around me slightly changed and altered, and mm-hmm. you know, some ways not so well, but some ways really well. You know, it's, it's go in there open-minded and be ready to have your ideas sort of, I guess, shaken a little. Yeah. 
fantastic advice. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Nicole Lee, and I really do look forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks very much, guys. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, grey, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with Ayan and Lauren, George and myself, Anya. Next up, we have a, a banger for you. I'm calling it, it's the banger of the year. That's because we only have four more weeks left. Dude, <laughs> it's true. Um, and I just feel like this song has been really, um, been the song of the year for a lot of people. Mm. So It's reimagined Ariana as a feminist icon we never knew we needed. Yeah. <laughs> so the song is called Thank You, Next by Ariana Grande. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, and really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now. Check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. The Voice of West Papua now has a one-hour show. 
we have moved from Monday 6.30 to Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. Yes, more news and music from West Papua. I am Gabriel Gatte. 3CR is like a super You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. In the studio, we are joined by Jade McBurney and Ariel Malecki. Jade is the Together for Equality and Respect Manager and Ariel Speaking Out Coordinator that we had here two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Um, both from Women's Health East to talk about the 16 Days of Activism. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks, Thanks for having us. <laughs> so... First off, what is the 16 Days of Activism? So the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence is a global campaign to raise awareness about, about violence against women and its impact on women's physical, psychological and social health. The 16 Days begins on the 25th, 25th of November, so it was on Sunday, and it goes all the way through to the 10th of December, which is International Human Rights Day. Um, and these dates were chosen to highlight that violence against women is a human rights issue. So during the 16 days, people from around the world used the campaign to raise awareness about the prevalence and devastating impacts of violence against women, but also to highlight the achievements of women and challenge the structures that enable and support violence against women to occur, and to demand that violence against women be recognised as an abuse of human rights. Every year... Women's Health East leads a regional uh, 16 days campaign with the support of participating partner organisations in the Eastern Metro region. And this year, the focus of Women's Health East is uh, the 16 days of, sorry, um, of the campaign is on partnerships. Um, and these partnerships are all focusing on um, advancing gender equality, but not just um, organisational partnerships. These partners could be in action in your neighbours, they could be your neighbours, they could be your local politicians, your educators or your workmates. Pretty much anyone in, with whom you interact where you live, work, play or learn. Um, so pretty much the, idea, the message is, is that we're all in this together and we all have a responsibility to elevate the voices of women um, who have survived violence and all, we, and all of us have a role to play in facilitating a society free of gender-based violence. I really like that because I think, you know, obviously um, this type of violence is just so pervasive in society and it can't just be addressed at the level of law or, you know, change in the workplace. It really has to be these added sort of cultural and attitudinal changes that yeah. um, to push for and so kind of challenging those in your, like, community environments and your family environments is really, yeah, is yeah. a really cool idea. Thank you. So, and is this part of something bigger? It absolutely is. While the 16 Days of Activism is a fantastic campaign, we know that 16 days is not enough. It needs to be long-term, coordinated work. Um, so to address, address in gender inequality, there's strong evidence that does highlight the importance of long-term, coordinated work to achieve gender equality. Um, Women's Health East lead Together for Equality and Respect, which is a partnership of 35 organisations across the eastern region, and we're all working together in a coordinated way to prevent violence against women, and we've been doing so for five years and will continue to do so. Um, TIFA itself also has a strong line of sight through the state peak body for gender equity, Gender Equity Victoria, and also our state government's gender equality strategy. 
TIFA includes organisations across multiple sectors. Uh, includes local governments, specialist family violence agencies, community health centres, and importantly, organisations representing migrant and refugee health, as well as Aboriginal health. Yeah, cool. And so I think, I guess, Ariel, you sort of talked a little bit about... Um, you know, why why this is important, but could you expand on that? Well, I think I might just roll off some stats for you just to highlight how big of an issue it is. Um, as of today, according to Destroy the Joint, 63 women and 19 children have been murdered in Australia since January 1st of this year. One in three Australian women have experienced physical violence since the age of 15. One in five Australian women has experienced sexual violence. One in six Australian women have experienced physical or sexual violence by a current or former partner. One in four Australian women has experienced emotional abuse by a current or former partner. And Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are report experiencing violence in the previous months at 3.1 times higher than the rate of Indigenous women. So women from around the world are speaking up about violence, but it's made so much harder when the systems in place silence women. Mm. And these statistics are most probably an underrepresentation under of the true picture. And evidence shows that women who experience multiple forms of discrimination, uh, discrimination such, such as racism, ableism, homophobia, will be silenced even further. So the 16 days of activism is, is important because it is a dedicated time in the calendar to share the stories of, of survivors and victims. And, and it's an opportunity for organisations um, and p- just people and community in general who are already working hard in this space to be transparent about the work that they're, de- they're doing and celebrate it. Yeah. And Destroyed as Joint is such a yeah, such an important page, Facebook mm. page that records those stats. Yeah. Um, and so what other projects are being done in the East around this? So the Together for G campaign, our sixteen days campaign, highlights some of the amazing work that is happening across the eastern region in Melbourne by TIFA partners. Um, TIFA being Together for Equality and Respect. So a couple of examples, I don't have time to name them, all the amazing work that's happening in a region. Um, Monash Settle Council lead a fantastic project called the Inner East Faith Communities Unite for Safety and Respect. And this project supports faith leaders to build their capacity to prevent violence against women in their own communities. Um, additionally, up in the Yarra Ranges, there's the Voices of Women Community Group, which is leading change for all women in their region, um, particularly around access to opportunities in local government and they provide skill-building opportunities and they encourage a community that supports women to run. Um, Another example is the Access Health and Community um, Inclusive Clubs project. It's around sport, um, and where they, along with Manningham and Burundara Council and Women's Health East, support clubs to build environments and cultures that are inclusive and celebrate people of all gender abilities, ethnicities, races and sexuality, um, which is a really great project. As well, I don't, we, Women's Health East um, are playing a role in terms of bringing the light on more complex issues of family violence that aren't necessarily well talked about, and specifically in the LGBTI community. Mm. Um, so we're doing an important action research project which delves into understanding that a bit further and what the drivers look like for that community because the framework that we work from at the moment is quite heteronormative. Um, that's a fantastic project which we're really looking forward to sharing. Um, there's so much more, but all TIFA partners as well implement long-term sustainable change within their own organisations. It's really important that people walk the talk before they go out and do this work, and that's what we see as a really important part of the work that's happening in our region. Um, and there's a lot of other projects as well in sports, in particularly in early years, schools and tertiary education settings, um, infrastructure, online spaces, and many other settings as well. Mm. Well, that's huge. That's a lot. Yeah, a lot of things mentioned. I, yeah, I think that's really important to have those 
services that are specific to particular groups of people and kind of recognising that the violence is different in different um, in different environments. So that really needs to be taken into account and also having it kind of as part of schools or sports programs or whatever so that it's actually, you know, a conversation that's taking place everywhere. Um, so what can listeners do to commit to gender equality and prevent gender-based violence? So... What we would really like is for your listeners to go onto social media and let us know how they will be committing to gender equality and preventing violence against women where they live, work, learn, or, and play. Um, so go online, um, tag Women's Health East, um, we're at W-H-E-A-S-T, um, and use the hashtag together for G-E, G-E being gender equality, and share your story. If you don't have social media, talk to a friend, a colleague, a family member, we're, pretty, we're all in this together, and that's the theme of um, this year's campaign. Um, so my commitment this year is to advocate for equality where I play, um, and that, where I play football, um, to be exact. So I'm going to push really hard at my club for inclusivity, um, and, and a club that supports women to succeed and lead on and off the field. Um, and it's actually not only gender equality that I'm seeking, but also to be inclusive of culture, religion, gender identity, ability. Um, it's no small feat for a sport that is dominated by men um, and white men and wealthy white men. Um, but I'm going to give it all I can. Uh, what about you, Jade? So my commitment is where I live, and it's a slightly different one. So I recently bought a unit, and it's much in need of renovations, which I've been chipping away at. I've made it my mission to not only take the opportunity to get handy myself, but to use my consumer influence when I'm requesting renovations and trades. Um, I've been... The trade sector, as we know, is really underrepresented with women, um, and particularly with diversity as well. It's quite a white sector. Mm. So for me, it's about... You know, even just getting a trade to my house is a miracle, but asking the questions when I pick up the phone to make an inquiry about whether do you have any women doing trade, um, and if they don't, why don't they, and putting the spotlight for them on why they don't have many women in this industry, and hopefully um, getting another person on the other end of the line to think about what that is and how they might be able to change that. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. How about you guys? So we were having a little chat about this um, just earlier in the show, and... Um, we were thinking that, I mean, obviously we tried to cover a lot of topics to do with family violence and gender-based violence on the program, um, but to really kind of have a kind of deliberate thing of doing that every every second week at least, mm-hmm. and also making sure that when we do cover these topics that we are thinking um, particularly about certain groups of people that are excluded from the conversation in mainstream media, making sure that their voices are heard and that we, you know, we're hearing from their experiences and making sure that that's a part of, a part of the broader conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think also there's a lot that we can think about within our own communities and how we challenge that, because I think just coming back to that, I think that's actually a really, really important part of this as a movement, actually having these conversations with people mm-hmm. in your own, like your own friends and family, and that can often be the most effective way of um, getting people to understand, you know, the, mm. the severity of this and also how to address it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, well, a lot to think about. So thank you so much for joining us no problem. today. Thanks and for I hope, us. yeah, Thanks for having us. And I hope everything goes well with the rest of the campaign. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> CR has all kinds of music programs for you to hear. From blues to hip-hop, reggae, classical, punk, jazz, soul, indigenous, experimental, indie, metal and other music styles. 
check out 3cr.org.au on the World Wide Web for more info. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Good morning. You're on Tuesday Breakfast with Ayan, George, Lauren and myself, Anya. We were just listening to Ariel and Jade from uh, Women's Health East about the 16 Days of Activism campaign and the work that health services across Victoria are doing to address violence against women. We also made a commitment to um, cover stories and interviews relating to this um, this epidemic that's happening across the country. So if you have a story to share or if your organisation is working in this space, please, please reach out to us um, and we can... Um, have a chat about that on air. Next up, um, we're going to be talking to Tamar Hopkins. Tamar was the founding lawyer of Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre's Police Accountability Project and has worked as a lawyer and now researcher in the area of police accountability and racial profiling for about 12 years. Tamar was awarded the 2010 LIV Community Lawyer of the Year Award and was shortlisted for the Australian Human Rights Commission Law Award in 2014. She's currently a PhD candidate at um, UNSW. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tamar. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Amazing. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the Police Accountability Project and how it all began? Yeah, so um, I joined the Flemington Legal Centre in 2005. Um, prior to this, uh, the centre had been the centre of police accountability work during the um, the 90s and early 1000s, um, uh, assisting, led by Faye Spear, Genevieve Nile and Jude McCulloch, um, working on issues of um, excessive police shootings. There was a, a spate of, of um, shootings in the region. Families were affected and the centre was very much at the, um, at the epicentre of working to get accountability for those families. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that period on, uh, the centre continued to receive complaints of police um, brutality and then it absolutely spiked in around uh, late 2005, early 2006 mm. with a police um, action called Operation Malto, which resulted in a large number of young people, mainly African, also Afghani um, youth being uh, over-policed, assaulted, threatened mm. and harassed on a, a very, very regular basis. And, and that's really the spark that led to the current incarnation of the Police Accountability Project at Flemington Legal Centre, looking at how on earth can we, we actually get true accountability for these young people, mm. um, given that the 
systems that are in place to deal with this are not working. Mm. Um, so we realised that we needed a whole system change in mm. order to create accountability and that's really what the project mm. was initiated to do. Yeah. And how has the work and the narrative around the need for police accountability changed over the course of this project? Yeah. Um, so I guess there's a, a couple of things to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, when it was really, really obvious to our clients and ourselves that the existing issue of police investigating themselves was absolutely not working. Mm-hmm. And while that had been kind of simmering away in the background, it really took the, this project and um, the networking that it was able to produce to create a sector-wide support for um, changing the system to ensure that police were independently investigated. So I guess the narrative that police were the only ones that could do it had been very dominant until then. And this, so this project kind of led to a sector-wide recognition that not only did we need a new system, but it was possible and we should be asking for it. So I think the demands um, became more concrete mm. for um, true reform to who in- was investigating police. Uh, the other big shift was um, a-, a kind of understanding of the way race played um, its role in policing. And while that had always been a feature of policing, I think this was the first along with the Aboriginal Legal Service work, this was uh, the first really coordinated effort showing that uh, policing was intensely racialised and um, that something needed to be done there. Mm. I think another thing that's shifted in the last 10 years is, I guess, an acceptance, um, more of an understanding of issues around abolition Mm. and that... um, abolition that really we're looking can we really reform the police or is are we looking for a totally new system Mm. for dealing with um with people and uh the whole sort of process of criminalization that goes with the criminal justice system so i think this discussion is has very much shifted over the last you know 10 years since i've been working in this space Mm. Yeah, from from wanting reform to wanting to overhaul the entire system. That's sort of how it's um, it's uh, changed over the last that's ten years. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm. Absolutely. And those discussions are becoming more and more mainstream. So uh, previously, they were just really seen as fringe um, positions, mm. but now we're seeing you know a lot more people talking about about this. And the whole divestment movement is really you know one of those parts of the movement um, mm. sort of divesting from prisons and putting uh, putting that money, returning that money to the community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And speaking about um, racialised policing um, you, I read that report that you sent me I think a couple of weeks ago about um, the implementation of a racial profiling data collection scheme can you talk to yep. us about it a little bit so what will such a scheme do? Yeah so um so what what the idea here is that um, at, at the moment in Victoria we have no mechanism for uh, understanding the extent of racial targeting by police. What we have is 
Many reports by young people of being targeted and anyone who saw the Four Corners report um, mm. a number of weeks ago would have seen, uh, you know, the, the kinds of targeting of Africans, a pair of youth being told to leave a library for no reason, for example, um, was a really key example mm. in that Four Corners report. So what we have in Victoria is anecdotes of this being a really significant problem, but we have no evidence, no data that shows that this is... This is a central problem that is propelling racialised people into the criminal justice system. Mm. And this this data is available in many parts of the world. And Victoria and Australia, indeed, is 25 years behind the rest of the world in collecting this data. So the, the idea behind data collection is that we can start having firm information about the scale of the problem. Mm. And in Australia, where... Racism is very much swept under the carpet. Um, it's hard data is really important to shift that overwhelming denial that race mm. plays a factor part. Um, so that that's one advantage to it. The next thing is that the recommendation from this report is that we start to actually impose a threshold on when police can, can intervene in the lives of an individual. So in, let's, let's say vehicle stops in Victoria, police can pull over anyone without any requirement that they suspect that they're committing criminal offence. Mm-hmm. Whereas in New South Wales, you have a threshold that requires them to suspect on reasonable grounds that a person has committed an arrestable offence before they can pull that person over. So we are lacking in thresholds Mm. that limit police um, intervention in Victoria. And in terms of street intervention, there is no threshold that applies at all. So Mm. police can stop anyone at any stage. So there's there's a really big conversation that needs to be had about imposing thresholds on police before they can they can intervene Mm -hmm. so that's that's really important and um studies around the world have shown that the more discretion police have Mm -hmm. the more racialized the contact police have with the public so you get higher discrimination Mm -hmm. when you've got higher um higher uh when, when police can choose whatever whereas if you impose a threshold where they have to meet something then you see discrimination getting less. So mm-hmm. that's that's another kind of recommendation that comes out of this report. Yeah. And really it's about creating more space between the police and the public and reducing contact because all studies show that uh, contact with the police is intensely criminalising. So even if it doesn't result in an arrest, it sets a pathway for a person towards entering the criminal justice system. It affects their Mm self-esteem, their idea about themselves. They view themselves as a second-class citizen. People start um, accepting that they're not... They're worthless. You see people dropping out of school. Mm -hmm. There's a whole set of changes that occur when when you police people unnecessarily. So it's really about trying to change those those features. Mm. There's so much about what you've just said that just... um 
Yes, it's so important and something that needs to be talked about a lot more, this unfettered discretion that police have and how that mm. feeds into this pipeline into prisons. Um, yeah, yeah, so thank you. Thank you for for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're running out of time, but before um, I let you go, can you tell us a little bit about anything else that you're working on that you'd like our listeners to know about? Yes, um, that would be great. So at the moment, Victoria Police, we have asked them to collect this data, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing as part of a PhD project with UNSW is going to you, the public, to ask you for your experiences of being stopped by police. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would really love to hear from anyone who has been stopped by police at some stage in the last 10 years. Um, if you could go to a website, which is www.policestopsurvey.online mm. and write, record there your uh, most recent experience of being stopped by the police, whether it's in a vehicle or as a pedestrian. Um, that will that will go um, to starting to fill this gap in data that we mm. currently have in Victoria. So yeah. I encourage everyone out there who's had a police stop experience to fill in that survey. Absolutely. Um, we'll put all of that up on Facebook and Instagram and all of that. Um, and I'm really excited to see um, how the data would look like. Excited is a weird word to use, but I think if nothing else works, hard statistics might be what we Absolutely. need at this point. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, so yep. much for joining us um, today, Tamara, and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Anya. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Tuesday Brecky on 3CR Community Radio. George, what was that song? That song is called um, "It's Called Wiggle" by Huntley. So good. Yeah. yeah. The only other Dancing. wiggle I know is the Jason Derulo one. Wow. Jason Derulo. No, you gotta say it like that. I heard a thing about him the other day, but we're on breakfast radio, so I can't tell you. All right, just wait three more mm. minutes and then we can talk about it. We will. Um, so we just wanted to do a little bit of a follow-up on um, the election on Saturday because it's really being touted as, um, you know, a win for progressives throughout the state, and it mm. is. You know, the Liberals. I, there was a very clear mm. um, delivery of Victorians' rejection of the purely racist. Law and Order campaign run by Matthew Guy and um, and the complete lack of policies that were in touch with actual Victorians' lives. However, there are a few things um, that we thought it was worth highlighting about um, the Dan slide. Firstly, the Andrews government, um, I think is important to note, has typically 
not been a friend of um, Indigenous people. Mm. Richard Wynne, who was returned in the seat of Richmond, um, is the planning minister in the Andrews government, and it was Richard Wynne's decision to um, to bulldoze the, the Jaburung birthing trees mm. in Jaburung country, which is out near Ararat, rather. Um, and despite massive community protests and an embassy for the protection of the trees did not bend, um, the Andrews government has no Indigenous members in their government despite being in treaty negotiations and has copped a lot of flack for mm-hmm. um, ignoring the voices of many groups of Indigenous people in the state around treaty. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some things. But um, anyway, and look, a number of um, a number of women of colour and women with diverse experiences, as we heard today from Nicole earlier in the program, were not either elected mm. um, or were, and I, I don't know if this is the best word to use, but were shafted, essentially, mm. by preference deals. Mm. So, I also mm. want to quickly jump in about the, the whole rhetoric around, uh, or, um, you know, the tough on crime stands that the Liberals mm. pushed mm. for and how that's failed. Um, I just want to say that the Labor government is building that Terry Creek prison as we talk. So mm. And is doubling the police force and is bringing in new weaponry for police. Anti-association and laws. Yeah. These are bad things. They're doing yeah. this. Let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. So, yes... It's great that we had a, a wet, red wave across the state, but um, let's not stop being critical of our government. Mm. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.